This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. On Money Talks, we discuss money news and take your questions about personal finance. For 15 years, we've provided free financial information for Mississippians. I hope you can join me, Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. or anytime on our podcast. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill, and I am not a billion dollars richer today, but then nobody else is. So uh, maybe by this weekend, uh, someone who's listening will be a billion dollars richer and this show will mean a lot more to them. <laughs> That's right, Liz. Well, good morning. And, and I'm not $2 poor. Because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't uh, you know, take that, uh, uh, you know, because it is a tax, you know, when you can come right down to it. I do know people win and it's fun to play, but, um, you know, it is definitely kind of a different way of taxing people. And it's an enjoyable way. And I always said, if people were, uh, you know, we had a lottery for, you know, our federal tax returns. And they pulled one of our Social Security numbers out of a hat and gave us a billion dollars. But only if our return was perfectly right, there'd be a lot better compliance. So, you know, anyway, that's always been my idea. But it's it's great to be with you again today. And, and I hope your week's off to a good start. And, you know, lawyers um, work not just with lawyers, but we work with other great professionals, um, uh, you know, to put together plans for people. And today we're excited uh, to welcome Mark Littlecott who is the Advancement Director for Estate Planning uh, and Plan Giving at Ole Miss. And he's going to talk about the many benefits of uh, plan giving to charitable organizations. And Mark, we're really glad to have you, have you here. Um, good morning. Uh, you know, good would morning. you please tell us a little bit about your background and how did you become interested in, in uh, plan giving? Well, after my uh, Army service in the uh, early 90s, um, I was uh, – in the air defense artillery with the army, and I, I came out and I got into the um, nonprofit arena with the Boy Scouts, and uh, you know, just kind of settled into that and found that I had a a niche, if you will, in, in fundraising. And my frustration was that every year it seemed like we were working harder just to try to make the same annual dollars and. I would see other charities that had um, significant endowments, and um, the endowments um, particularly would help out when there was a, a a downturn in the economy or whatever. And and it's like, well, where's this money coming from? How does this money get into endowments? And the lion's share, probably ninety nine percent of them, come through estates. Well, um, how does money get to charities and estates? And I started taking a fascination into that. And long story short. I ended up becoming an advocate and um, I might say an expert as a chartered advisor in philanthropy among my credentials in estate giving and other complex asset gifts, which was what we call planned gifts. Yeah, so that's yeah, so that's how you would differentiate them. Uh, you know, a, a donation, you know, a sustaining member of MPV, that's important. Or, uh, you know, somebody who gives to the University of Mississippi, you know, a gift every year. That's that's different from plan giving that. Right. Um, I, I liken it to um, I use an analogy. Um, the 
just like all Germans are Europeans, all estate gifts are planned gifts. But that doesn't mean all Europeans are necessarily Germans. We have French, Poles, Italians, British, whatever. So not all planned gifts require someone to die. A planned gift, by definition, is any gift that um, the is going to involve the advice and counsel, hopefully, of professionals, attorneys, uh, financial advisors, maybe insurance folks, people at a planning table. I think where people a lot of time miss the miss the boat, and uh, donors of ours tell us this because a lot of the things I share with them is like, I, why haven't I heard this from my other advisors? Is they don't think to actually bring it, bring an expert in this little specialty area to the planning table. So it's almost a voice that's never even heard, and. I hope today we go over a few options people probably haven't heard about and uh, the normative planning process, whether it's running a business, running a farm, or running, putting together your estate plan or whatnot. Well, who should consider you know, a planned gift? I know probably not everybody, but who, who should consider a planned gift? Well, um, about 80% of people statistically give to something annually. So I would submit to you all of them. The other 20% may only be motivated if there's a tax issue going on or something. Um, and I work with them, but I don't, I don't work myself up on them too much because at the end of the day, you've got to have some kind of charitable intent. Um, but I think a lot of people preclude themselves from making charitable gifts, uh, particularly planned gifts, estate gifts, and deferred gifts. Because they see them competing with their family goals. And um, so I would submit to you, I think everybody, to one degree or another, could easily put a charity in their state plan and actually, I'll probably get into in a little bit, do so without compromising a penny of what they want to leave their children or their heirs. Well, one thing we've learned on in legal terms, first, you need to have a, a, a state planning. We've learned so many people don't have one. And then think about where you would like to direct it. Or as Professor Gershon has said many times, the government gets to decide mm-hmm. where all your your hard-earned, hard-saved money goes to. And, Mark, I, I don't know that you know uh, – birth tables or anything, but it seems like there we're our our population is leveling off. Quite many people in my family don't have children and don't have heirs. So being able to take a look around at what influences your life or what you feel would make um better for your your town, your city, your state, your country, the world taking a look at that and then deciding that's where I would like to have my savings go uh, would be a good idea for folks. It certainly would. Um, you know, um, I think a lot of people um, are not challenged in that continuing process of, of thought to think about giving not only charitably, but giving philanthropically. And there is a difference. I define giving charitably as giving to a noun. Um, I, I here's X percent to Old Miss or X percent to the animal shelter, and these gifts usually are unrestricted gifts, um, and they can be quite large. Um, versus giving to a verb, I don't think a lot of people get challenged or thought about that. And I usually set it up this way: if you have no heirs, or pretend 
your heirs never existed anyway. And you could do if, – if your whole net worth, whether it's $100 or $100 million, um, if your whole net worth could do something exciting, what would you want to see fixed, changed, preserved, cured, enhanced – with that net worth. And yeah, you don't have enough money. No one does to cure cancer, but you sure can help. Um, and um, just a little bit helps um, it, it all levels. And another challenge to think about is the charities you are supporting, will they financially miss you when you're gone? There's a lot of charities that are shutting your, their doors uh, because their older donors have not provided a legacy gift uh, especially one to an endowment, as we opened up about, that will continue to sustain them at that level. And just it's like one quick math. If you're giving $1,000 a year to uh, Mississippi Public Radio, if you just gave $25,000 from your estate to NPR um, to the endowment, and it's important to talk to NPR's people to make sure it's going to the endowment. Or MPB's people. Yes, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, you know, I, I lived in South Dakota for so long, I keep saying Minnesota Public Radio, and I mean to say <laughs> Mississippi. Um, but, um, yeah, if it goes to the your endowment, um, well, 4% endowment, it's like they replace themselves. That thousand's going to continue ad infinitum as long as you're in business. So... Um, you just replaced yourself. You kept yourself going, and we'll get probably get into it in a little bit how you can do that if you do have children without compromising what you want to intend for them too. We'd love and, for you, you to know, be. I, Go ahead, sorry, Professor I, Gershon. I was going to say I just saw uh, you know a, an article that we're about to have the greatest wealth transfer in the history of the country because, as as Liz mentioned, the baby boomers, people my age will be, you know, dying in the next uh, decade or so. And so we, they, uh, you know, they need to be thinking about this very issue that we're talking about today. This is in legal terms. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to our whole show from our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Now, if you would like to ask other money questions or you want to listen to questions from others, just tune in to MPB's Money Talks. It's heard on MPB Think Radio Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Central. And you can also listen to it from mpbonline.org or you can listen to the podcasts. We're talking today on In Legal Terms about planned giving with our guest, Mark Littlecott. This is a, it's such a great topic. And, you know, uh, Mark, we're really happy to have you here. And I, let me just uh, put this out on the table. I mean, if somebody, um, let's say I'm an estate planning attorney and I've got a client who wants to make a uh, planned gift, um, I, mean, I can say, well, and they want to make it to the University of Mississippi. So I could say, uh, well, to go talk to Mark, you know, because you you'll help them set up that planned gift. As you know, and I think that's a, a really important resource that you know state planning attorneys need to take advantage of. I yeah, I concur. In fact, um, it's a good idea to talk to the charity at least insofar as you care about what they do with your gift, and um, just like how the government, uh, if you die intestate. 
which means without a will, and they say dying intestate is a fate worse than death. Um, if you die intestate and um, the government's already got a estate plan for you in place and they're going to spend it as the, the law dictates, well, a charity operates uh, similarly to one degree or another. And, um, you know, it'll miss if, if someone doesn't talk to us before they put us in their state. Well, we got a plan for how we're going to spend it. Um, and it really doesn't matter what their attorney says afterward or their family says afterward. That we've got a plan for how to spend it. Some charities don't have a plan. I've seen that especially tear up some um, um, relations with um, within charities. I, I know a church back in South Dakota that got a $800,000 state gift from someone who died tragically, and they didn't know what to do with it, and they argued for three hours in a board meeting about it. And uh, so – Probably a good idea for that guy to have called and talked to them and say, hey, I'm planning to leave a nice gift. What should we do with it? And so you want your estate gift not only to benefit the charity, but benefit the charity in a way that excites you, that is amazing, that that, that it's what you'd want to see happen. Don't leave it to the executives to figure out how they're going to spend it. Thank you. That's great advice. Now, yeah, you know, let's let's talk about other ways to to fund a, a gift to charity. Can can someone use their IRA, for example, Absolutely. to fund a gift to charity? Absolutely. You know, when I when I sit down with someone and they you know they've kind of made up their mind they want to do something for Old Miss, um, I usually just do a um, if not in my head on a piece of paper, I'll draw a line down the middle of the paper and I'll put a plus column and a minus column and I'll say, all right, well, let's talk about what you got. And as we talk about their assets, I'm looking for what I call good assets and bad assets. Good assets are assets that if you leave them to your heirs, there will be no tax due on them. Now, I'm not talking about estate tax. I'm just talking about like income tax. And, you know, your real estate, your life insurance, your savings accounts, those are good assets, your car and normally. Um, If your heirs receive those, they liquidate them, there's no tax on those assets. But then conversely, you got bad assets. You have health savings accounts, uh, savings bonds, commercial annuities, and as most especially, as you mentioned, IRAs, which is usually the big one. Um, in fact, um, IRAs um, make up anywhere between 24 and 30 percent of people's assets when they die. So if you leave those to your heirs, um, those will be taxable assets. They will be taxed on them. And unlike you, the deceased who was taking out incremental annual distributions and not being taxed so heavily on it, most of the time heirs just say, whoop-de-doo, I got, you know, mom left us a million dollars, me and my sister, that's a half million. We're going to Disney World and uh, <laughs> other things. And uh, <laughs> and then they do their taxes the next year and realize, uh-oh, I'm in the highest tax bracket. You know, because mom, that 500000 that they inherited, their half of mom's IRA was all taxable. And um, it used to be lawyers, as, as you know, Richard, lawyers in 2003 were empowered to create for their clients what was called a stretch IRA mechanism to, to forbade that from happening, to keep the, the, the heirs from wasting through the IRA. They'd stretch out the payments for their lives. Well, the government saw that was too good a deal for people, so they closed that if you want to call it loophole, when, in 2019 with the SECURE Act, mandating that your heirs, if they don't take it all out at once, they got to take it out within 10 years. And that's going to be taxable income. And I advocate with people, it's like, you know, ideally, we'd love to have it 
for the charities right away, and it's a great gift if you're just going to do an outright slice of the pie to the charities. Start with your IRA. If you want to give more, great. We can talk about that, but start with the IRA. But you can also do what we call give it twice plan, where you say, I'm going to give all or part of the IRA to a charitable trust that the lawyer, the attorney for the client sets up within the will. I kind of liken it to like you impregnate the will with the trust, but the trust is not born until you you and your spouse have died. So, And when it's born, that's when it receives the IRA. And being a charitable trust, it's a tax-exempt trust. So when it liquidates that IRA, satisfying the 10-year rule that was created in 2019 because it has to be liquidated, it does so tax-free. And now that can stretch out the IRA. You can pay income to your heirs like the old stretch mechanism for the rest of their lives or maybe a term of years if you did it for, say, 20 years after you're gone and it paid out 5%, which is by law the minimum on this trust. Well, 5 times 20, you don't need to be a math major to know that's 100%. So over 20 years, your kids get 100% of the IRA. Then 21 years after your funeral, the IRA, the trust ends and goes to MPB <laughs> or Ole Miss and or the Rotary Club and whatever else that you that you want to support. You can divide it up 100 ways to Sunday. So you can give and receive. Yeah, you gave it twice. Of, yeah, you gave 100% to your of, heirs and you gave 100% to the charities. And I think a lot of people don't know that. I mean, that, you know, that they're – because one question people might ask, you know, you and I talked about this uh, when we met earlier uh, uh, last month and we talked about, you know, um, people think, well, I, want, I just want to give everything to my children. And as you mentioned earlier, you could do that and still give to charity. Um, and I'm glad we're talking about this. So that at least, you know, people know that that's a possibility. Um, so what about life insurance policy? Now, you mentioned that's a good asset because it's totally tax free when it goes to the to the family directly. But can, can someone use life insurance to fund a, a plan gift? They certainly can. Um, but again, if they were dividing it up, the estate and what I call the slice the pie approach, I would start my giving to my heirs with life insurance and start my giving to charities from my bad assets, starting like with the IRA. Bad being just taxable, not evil, but just you know taxable. So, um, but yeah, for someone who wants to create a a life insurance policy to benefit a charity, that's been popular for a hundred years or so, and it's a totally legitimate way. I would just say before you name the charities beneficiary of your IRA or of your life insurance. Have you done so with your IRA first? Because <laughs> that just makes more sense to leave the IRA to the charity and because it's taxable, whereas the life insurance is not taxable. Um, and that it's not, not that you're going to be – I knew a guy years ago. He, he said um, he had um, our charity. I was working for the Salvation Army at the time. He, he had our charity in his, in, in his beneficiary of 50000 of his IRA. guy had a half-million-dollar estate. And um, also, he had about a $50,000, $60,000 IRA. And I, I'm sorry, if it, we were getting 50000 of his life insurance and not his IRA. The IRA was going to, the, um, to his daughter. And I said, well, um, the, the charity I'm working for, Salvation Army, we'll get fifty grand, whether it's from your IRA or from your insurance policy. It doesn't matter. We get fifty grand. But your daughter, because you left the life insurance to the charity, 
and the IRA to the daughter, she'll only net 35000 out of that because she'll have to pay 25% income tax. So he was smarter to leave the life insurance to his daughter, and the, which was neat because it was the same value as the IRA and the IRA to the charity. Again, the charity got the same amount of money either way, tomato, tomato. But the daughter uh, ended up getting 15000 more, and the IRS was totally left out of the, out of the picture. But, yes, yeah, she can do it. And both mechanisms, you do it via beneficiary designation nine times out of ten. Uh, but, obviously, you want to have the concurrence of counsel because your state attorney may have different plans or structured a different plan. There's always moving parts <laughs> with with many estate plans. So just bef- before you ever change a beneficiary designation, please talk to your state attorney and make sure that's uh, congruent with what they've designed. Because a, a single beneficiary designation, um, just a little tweak of that without the input of the estate attorney can mess up all the math. And now you've got a disaster on your on your hands. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. You can also find MPB Think Radio recordings from the website mpbonline.org slash radio. Now, if you would like to leave a legacy to support a favorite charity, here are two suggestions. The MPB Foundation has information about doing that to support MPB on their website, mpbfoundation.org. Our guest is Mark C. Littlecott, Advanced Advancement Director for Estate and Planned Giving from the University of Mississippi. Now, university development works with those who wish to leave a legacy to support Ole Miss. And you can check out their website, umlegacy.org. Today, we are talking about planned giving. Yes, it's, it's really uh, such an important topic. I think, you know, we, we mentioned that, um, unfortunately, fewer than half the people in this country actually engage in any kind of estate planning at all. And so, Ooh, you know, but they found Aretha Franklin's will in the couch. I, did you hear about that? I did. They thought she didn't have one. They ended, actually had ended up with two documents. Um, so she planned, but the other thing is you got to communicate with people about, you know, what your plan is. Um, and that was, yeah, that's a great story. I mean, it really, uh, um, I talked to my summer wills and estates class about that particular, particular <laughs> issue, but yeah, so fewer than half the people plan. Even. And, and how many of those work in your experience, um, or do any kind of, uh, planned giving? as part of their their plan. Well, rather than rely on my anecdotal experience, there was a study in 2015 by Dr. Russell James out of Texas Tech, and um, he did his study, and he revealed that of those people, only 10.8% do any charitable giving, non-contingent, I should say, a contingent gift meaning, well, if my nine grandkids tragically die before I do, then there's some money for my church or whatever. Um, that We're not talking about those. We're talking about, you know, purposeful gifts to the charities of people with children it plummets to 1.6%. So it's less than 2% of people with children even do a charitable gift at all through their estate plan. And I think you you hit on it earlier or alluded to it most people think that charitable gifts will necessarily compete kind of like you're slicing a pizza that they'll compete with what they can leave their heirs if I leave a percent to 
the more pieces I, I cut out of the pizza, the less I'll be able to leave to other people. You know, if someone gets a bigger slice, I automatically get less of a slice because it's a zero-sum game. And this two-dimensional approach is the way most estate conversations are discussed. And uh, I try to take a three-dimensional approach like we talked about with the give it twice with the IRA. And you can do this a lot with uh, various charitable trusts. Let's talk about some of those. This is kind of like, okay, so this is pizza pizza, right? I'm not trying yeah. to advertise for anybody. You, know, you buy one, get one free. Um, so we'll talk about these uh, different charitable trusts. Let's start with the charitable remainder trust. How, how does that work and what is that? Yeah, there's about 250 to 300,000 of these, according to the IRS recently. Um, there's two ways to set them up. Um, one is while you're alive to receive assets. And a lot of people do this as a capital gains mitigating or eliminating strategy. I've helped people sell businesses tax-free, sell their real estate, their farm equipment, whatever, um, and sell it tax-free using charitable trust, charitable remainder trust specifically. It is a tax-exempt trust. Uh, It's like giving to a charity itself, but it's not the charity. Um, So um, you can set up a charitable remainder trust um, with your lawyer, with your bank, and or both, um, you don't have to necessarily involve a charity managing your charitable trust. Um, I would recommend you have somebody who knows what they're doing, though. Don't you're not your brother-in-law Lenny, who's serving seven years for tax evasion and you know federal prison. Um, you want somebody who understands these things. Um, but yeah, it it can receive assets, appreciated stock, appreciated real estate. I helped one couple, for example. Uh, they had three properties worth $1.5 million. And their lawyer said, yeah, you could set up a charitable trust, put the properties in there, they'll sell tax-free, and you'll get income off them. But they said, well, we don't want all the money tied up in a trust. We want some cash. We want some play money. We're 76 years old. You know, we, <laughs> we're not going to live long enough to get all that money out of it. Um, so uh, what we did was we put two of their properties worth about 900000 into the trust, those two sold tax-free because the trust was tax-exempt. The third property they sold, they technically had to pay all the capital gain and depreciation recapture, but it was offset by the tax deduction of the charitable trust. And we use the acronym BIC, B-I-C. You bypass the capital gain, usually you increase your income, which they did, and you get a charitable deduction with a charitable remainder trust. And again, that's one way you do it. Um, that's set up as an irrevocable arrangement because obviously once you put the assets in there, once you gift something, it is irrevocable. You get a tax deduction. You can't take those properties out, whether they're stocks, cattle, whatever you're putting in there. The context of what we talked about earlier with the give it twice estate planning is it is a revocable charitable remainder trust. And it's usually, like I said, established within the will and as you know, Dr. Gershon, a, a will is a revocable document. So you can change any provision in a will. But if you go to your grave uh, or graves, you and your spouse, and you haven't changed your will, that's when it's born. And that's when it receives assets. And it, it's not restricted to the bad assets we talked about earlier. It, you can put the whole estate in there if you wanted to. And it is a great way to... Um, you know, I often talk to folks and say, I'll ask them, you know, okay, you got two kids, you have a, a half million dollar estate, how much is enough for Billy and Johnny? And they'll say, you know, I think 50000 a piece out, out front is, I don't want to leave them more than that because they'll just spend it anyway. Okay, well, we still have 400000 to play with. 
what if we put it in a charitable tr- remainder trust and it pays out to them 5% a year for the rest of their lives as a supplemental or a lifestyle income? Oh, that's a great 5% of 200000 That's ten grand a year. That's a great gift from mom or dad or, or Aunt Sally um, or whomever setting it up. And then it eventually benefits all the favorite charities that Aunt Sally or mom and dad liked. I would like to interject because this just came to me. I have known two different grandmas who passed away and left their grandchildren some money, and then they just blew the grandchildren just blew through it. Statistically, sixty-five percent of the time, an inheritance of any amount is gone within eighteen months. And doing what you're talking about a a charitable remainder trust would enable someone to provide long term possibly for a grandchild but then also at some point that also would provide for an organization that you truly loved and believed in or organizations plural yes you can the beauty of a charitable remainder trust is multiple charities can benefit at the end so um, you're not restricted to one. You may even have, like at Ole Miss, we have we manage a lot of charitable remainder trusts, but rarely are we the sole beneficiary. <laughs> There's seven, eight, nine different charities that will benefit when it's run its course, but they're trusting us because we're kind of one of the bigger kids in the block in the state. We know how to manage these things. We have people assigned to that area. Uh, but, you know, the little animal shelter down the street that doesn't have its own sophisticated staff dealing with that kind of stuff, they're still going to benefit if you want to leave them a slice of that. That's great. I mean, that's good to know. And then what about now the other flip side of that uh, charitable remainder trust is something called a charitable lead trust. What? Yeah, there's only, there's only about 6,500 of these compared to about a quarter million of the charitable remainder trust and the lead trust. Similarly um, you can do while you're living most of them are set up while people are living, but you can also do them through your state plan. Um, a lead trust works the exact opposite of a remainder trust. So it pays money to charities, not children or heirs or people. <laughs> so it pays to them for a term of years, not forever, but for a term of years. And um, then at the end, it dumps out to loved ones, to, to people. So I, I, I did an estate plan years ago with a couple. They largest estate. They had ten million, um, but they left. I think it was like a million out, out, up, out, just off the top to their kids, and then they were still nine million to play with, and somewhere to what Liz was talking about. They didn't want them to blow through it all at once. So um, they set up two charitable trusts. One was a remainder trust, and uh, about half the money in the estate that was left in that paid to their children, their grown children. And uh, by the way, got some very nice fat estate tax deductions for this. Um, And then at the end of the um, term, this will benefit various charities. But while that was paying out 5% a year to the children, the lead trust was paying 5% a year out to the charities. So if you you could see me online, I'm doing jazz hands. I'm doing 5% a year for 20 years, flashing my hands, 5, 5, 5, 5, like this. And, um, well, five times 20 is 100%. So the children got 100% from the remainder trust before it went to charity. 
And the charities got 100% from the lead trust before it went to the children, actually grandchildren in that case. Um, so um, when we did the math, it was 117% of the estate going to family and 97% of the estate going to charity in a totally revocable fashion. They could change their will anytime they want. Yeah, it just takes some planning. And I think that's that. that I, th- I hope that's what people take away from this because what we're talking about is complex um, and really needs the, the help of an expert for sure. Uh, someone like you and, you know, in conjunction with a lawyer as well. Um, well, Professor Gershon, you, you teach wills and trusts. You're not Dr. Buttress, who talks about uh, relationship advice on Southern Remedy here at MPB on 11 a.m. on Tuesdays. Why do you think people don't set up wills? Why do you think people don't do estate planning? And then I'll, we'll ask is. Mark his advice. His, his philosophy or what his conclusion is also. Well, when I used to do uh, wills for clients, um, a lot of times people would say, I'm afraid to do a will because then I'll die. I've actually heard people say that it's that whole thing. And and the truth is that, you know, the possibility of dying is a hundred percent. It's going to happen. So we need to plan because, um, if we don't, then we leave a mess for our families. And we don't take advantage of some of the things that Mark is talking about. We don't take advantage of some of the things we can do that will maximize what we do have for our families and for, you know, organizations that we care about. So it's it really is it's it's just too bad. People will say they'll get to it, they'll get to it, they'll get to it, and then they don't. And and you know, and it's communication too. You mentioned Aretha Franklin and she died in twenty eighteen. Her probate they finally figured out which will was hers in 2023. That was this week that the court decided, you know, between two pieces of two documents that were found. That's five years the family's in limbo. So, you know, we we got to think about the interpersonal side of this, too, and not just the money side. It, just what families go through and trying to figure out what to do with an estate. A lot of times they haven't had to deal, you know, deal with anything like that. So it's really important. It's just a set of instructions. That's all a will is. You know, and, and a trust is something that can be put together properly, prevent those children from burning through or those grandchildren from burning through that money. But, you know, by setting up a, a trust that pays them just income, as Mark's talking about, annually for the rest of their lives or whatever, they're going to have something each year. And they're not just going to get a lump sum that maybe they're not uh, ready to, to, to handle. So I, it's, it's an interesting thing when people say, yeah, I'm afraid I'm, I'll get to it or. I'm afraid I'm going to, you know, I'll, call, I'll die if I do this will. It's superstition. One other thing I'll say is that I always say, I've said this before on other shows, we talked about wills. Um, if we called intestacy, if we got rid of the term intestacy and called it socialized estate planning, because that's when the government does your estate plan for you, people would, get, I guarantee you, people would be much more interested in doing their estate plans. I'm not sure why, but, um, but they would, because it's just the government saying, here's what we think your estate plan is since you didn't tell us what you wanted. All right, Mark, I'm sorry. I, what, do you, what do you think about um, this? You know, back in the 80s and 90s, um, there was a bumper sticker that said, honk if you come from a dysfunctional family. And um, I think that most people don't want to attack or discuss their will because it brings skeletons out of the closet. It brings family dynamics that they just – Buried for years, decades, 
well, I almost prefer to go to their grave with or just, you know, they, they're not proud of this particular heir or who they married or and they just don't want to discuss it. They don't and they think, OK, if I go see the lawyer, I'm going to have to discuss it. I'm going to have to explain why I'm leaving Julie out of the will. Well, your lawyer's like your doctor, you know, just going to check that they're a professional. They're not involved. They I don't want to say they don't care, but it's not their job to care about the family dynamic um, insofar as, you know, therapy or something like that. Their job is to look at what your health condition, what your estate condition in this case is, and uh, help you through that, help you get it done in a way that is satisfactory, but also smart and doesn't cause a burden to your family. And I just, I think it's just a, it's a fact that um, if I, a lot of people just don't want to talk about things. um, So they just go to their grave, not having talked about it. And as you illustrated with Aretha Franklin, and I don't know what her family dynamic is, I have no clue, um, but it it can become a mess. Five years of lingering. um, It's a mess. Uh, I think of I think uh, you know there was a guy that, Wayne Heisinga who owned the Miami Dolphins and he didn't own a he didn't have a will and um, long story short I think they had to sell the team to pay the estate tax because he didn't have a will and I don't know what his issue was but maybe he was afraid he would die the minute he signed the will I don't know um, but yeah that's that's silly you know he's going to die anyway. <laughs> Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you have missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all of our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. We love it that at 11 a.m., Central on Tuesdays following our over-the-air broadcast. You can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. And right before our show at 9 a.m. is MPB's Money Talks. And there was a past episode where community foundations were the topic. You can find that link to their podcast on the show information for this podcast. We're talking today with Mark Littlecott, Advancement Director for Estate and Planned Giving at the University of Mississippi. Yeah, and I, this has been a really informative show, and I hope, hope people, uh, it makes people at least think, you know, about some of the things they can do. But Mark, you know, there's a, a term that maybe people haven't heard that maybe you can talk about, and that is stock swap. What, what exactly is that, and how does that work into a planned gift? Well, it it, it is a planned gift, and uh, it's not an exotic one, but it, it's it's in, in an innovative way of looking at, at giving. As, as maybe a lot of people know, um, they may be advised of, hey, if I want to make a nice gift, it makes sense to give stock, you know, appreciated stock. Um, years ago, I remember I was working for another charity, and I called a guy, thanked him for a $5,000 gift. He'd only been giving $100 a year, and... I said, you know, what happened? What did we do to deserve such an increase? And he said, well, you know, I had, I sold some stock and I had a tax issue and and um, needed to make a gift. I said it, and I said, I hope it was loss stock uh, that you sold and and you didn't pay capital gain. And he, he just went, oh no. And I said, oh, that's all right. People make that mistake all the time. And uh, he said, you don't understand. I'm not people. I'm a CPA. I should know better. Um, but, uh, 
you know, it, it makes sense to give stock and let the charity liquidate it, and the charity doesn't pay the tax. And that can be done outright or inside of the charitable trust like we talked about. Well, yeah, I run across a lot of people, and they've got a lot of stock, but they say, you know, I'd like to make a gift, um, and the stock makes sense, but I love my Costco stock. It's kind of the thing they brag about at dinner parties or whatever. You know, they got in early on Costco, and um, they're known as Mr. Costco stock amongst their friends, and they just don't want to give any Costco stock. I'm just picking Costco randomly here, but they don't want to give it to um, to anyone. Um, they're just holding on to it. Um, so, okay, fine. Uh, you decided you want to give $10,000 anyway. Um you go ahead and write a check for $10,000, but don't write it to the university. Don't write it to MPB. Um, write the check to your broker for 10000 Tell your broker to give your oldest, lowest basis Costco stock to the charity, $10,000 worth. And then use the check that you wrote to buy new Costco stock at today's cost basis. Now, does a charity get a penny more? No. We're charity's tomato, tomato again. We're, we're, we're getting 10 grand. We, we, the charity, we don't care if it's cash or stock. You know, it's 10 grand. That's the important thing from the charity's perspective. But when you go to sell that stock when you're 86, 90 years old and need it, um, your capital gains tax will be less because you've positioned yourself to have a higher basis in that stock by integrating your charitable gifts in the past using stock swaps. So um, it's a little innovative technique. And I I got a a dozen of these up my sleeve, but that's just one that's growing more and more in popularity with with Mississippians I've been finding since I introduced it here about a year ago. Let's go to the phones and talk to Francis in Mobile. Francis, what's your comment or question today? My question is... um, when you're thinking about your heirs, in my case, it would be our children, our adult children, should you share with them in advance while you're still alive um, the contents of your will? Or does that so dissension even before you're dead? Um, I don't know. I just, I just wonder about that. Or, or do you just tell them, I've got a will, it's at our attorney's. Uh, safe deposit box, and when we kick the bucket, y'all can go and get the will. You know, it's, it's a great question. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, you do want to communicate about uh, certainly where the will is, that you have a will. Um, if one of the children is going to be the executor, the personal representative, the one who's responsible for handling the estate, that they should know uh, where everything is. You don't have to tell them the exact details. No, um, that's totally up to you. Uh, you know, but I think it's really important to talk to them about online assets as well that someone has and pa- somebody needs to have those passwords. So communication is really important. How much of that you want to share is totally up to you. Francis, thanks for calling in and uh, with that with that question. So, uh, Mark, we've got. 30 seconds left. What is, what's it, give us a tip about legacy giving and planning. I'll, I'll tag on charities. to Francis's uh, question and just add to Dr. Gershon's that similarly talk to the charity. Um, you're not suddenly going to get hounded with fundraising. Actually, you're probably going to be taken off list when you 
because you've done the ultimate gift. But more importantly, you want to see this wonderful gift used the way you want it to be used uh, for the purposes you want it to be used. Um, And so please talk to the charity when you do that. And let your kids know if the will is in the safety deposit box or which couch you plan on keeping (laughs) your your will in. (laughs) Thank you, Mark. We appreciate you coming in. I was all worried. Oh, he's driven all the way from Oxford, but apparently he's out and about all the time visiting individuals who make planned giving to the University of Mississippi. So thanks, Mark, for being a stop on your tour. You're welcome, Liz. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We thank our crew today, uh, Abram Nanny, who is our podcast producer and was our engineer for the show, and Tim Tim Brown. We appreciate our intern, Tim Brown, for answering our phones. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.